KMTT Kimitzion Titzei Torah, and this is the Erev Shabbat program. This is Ezra Beck. I'm filling in for your usual host, Rav Yonatan Snowbell, who's a little bit under the weather, is not feeling well. So I'll do the best I can to to fill in his uh, to fill in his spot. The Erev Shabbat program. We're beginning a new sort of a new semester now. Right? Two new shiurim began uh, began this week. Uh, the second half of the winter is like a new semester. So the Erev Shabbat program, which will continue in its regular uh, design, but is being dedicated uh, for the next uh, 12 weeks till the end of the semester, till, till Pesach. The Ilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel Zal. There's a curious concept, traditional Jewish concept expressed in these words. When we have a mitzvah, Talmud Torah, you have an askara for a person who has departed, we say, Le'ilui nishmat ploni. The words Le'ilui nishmat mean for the ascent of the soul of the departed person. And it expresses a, a traditional Jewish belief, partially shrouded in mystery where it comes from, but deeply ingrained into today, at least, all, all, all aspects of Judaism, that a person who has died and is now ba'olam ha'emet, he's in olam haba, but that olam haba doesn't represent only a retirement home. It's not, so to speak, a well-deserved vacation. That even there, the neshama is oleh, it's on. It's still on. It's still on a journey. The actual concept is rooted in in Kabbalah and Hasidus. That uh, sometimes it's said once a year, but that the soul goes from stage to stage. It all goes back to a Gemara in the end of Moed Katan, where the very last Gemara of Masachet Moed Katan says, "Tzadikim ein lehem menucha afilu la'atid lava." Sadiqim do not have rest. They don't have neither rest nor recreation, even la'atid lavo. Obviously, in this world, they're busy. We don't expect a tzaddik to be on vacation. But afil la'atid lavo, tzaddikim ain lehem And the basic concept, I think, expresses something which perhaps wasn't really explicit in the Makaras, but it's, it's just deeply ingrained in Jewish theology and understanding that the meaning of to be alive and when one's dead, one is still alive. That's the whole point. There's Olam Haba. The meaning to be alive, to be a human being who's alive, to be a Tzermel Kim who is alive, to be an Oved Hashem who is alive, the meaning is to ascend, to keep moving, to come closer and closer to God. That being static, being stationary, wherever, even Ba'olam Shakulotov, even for a Tzaddik to be stationary on his very high level, that's the real meaning of true death, of, of ultimate death, not merely biological death, but of spiritual death. And specifically, Ba'olam Haba, the soul, it may be easier, it may not be sorrow, it may not be toil, but Menucha, rest, that doesn't exist. There's Ilui Nishmat. The connection to a shir in, in KMTT is a different Jewish belief that says that one's descendants 
the people who are somehow following in your path, that mitzvot that they do, very specifically Torah that they learn, or things connected that they can do for other people, that's Sibur, really accrue and become part of your accomplishments. In other words, this is the whole idea of saying Kaddish. Right? When a child says Kaddish, it's not just a mitzvah. He's getting the tzibur to be Mekadesh Shem Shemayim. He says to the congregation, Be'imru, and they say, Amen, Yehei Shem that your child is responsible for the world, for a whole community, which means a tzibur, a community, a world. The world reflects the glory of God that, 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 that accrues to the, to the parent or the grandparent whose message in Chinuch is what led this child to do it. That, that, that's where saying Kaddish comes from. And uh, we believe the same thing applies to other mitzvot as well, s- especially with the Latzibur. In other words, for instance, the shir that I'm now saying, the project, which we're now participating in, KMTT, which is Talmud Torah Shel Tzibur. It's an attempt which you're all part of to change or to affect, to improve the uh, public character of the Jewish community. That they should all be engaged in Torah in some sense, in some time. And the people who help us do that have a schut of Talmud Torah Berabim. And therefore the person who donated the money help us out for these shiurim for the next 12 weeks. The shiurim are, in fact, not only because he says so, but because they really are uh, appropriate. Talmud Torah Shalabim, Lilui Nishmat, Shlomo Yosef ben Chaim Shmuel Zal, Yehi Tehei Nishmatot Tzura B'Tzura Chaim. And the, uh, all the shiurim for, for this month of Shvat, which has begun this month have also been dedicated by a different donation, a generous donation. Liluy Nishmat Harav Avraham Yitzchak Ben Chaim Yehuda Bechan Ruven Ben Moshe Chaim Tehei Nishmotehem Tzivurot B'Tzvor Chaim This week's parsha is the second parsha of the Makot, the plagues. The word Makot means plagues. The, the Torah very often, especially in this week's parasha, refers to them not so much as being plagues, as being makot, injuries to the mitzvim, as much as they're being otot, umuftim. Those, they're wondrous things. What was wondrous about them, among other things, was how much the Egyptians suffered. But for the eyes of the Jews specifically, which is one of the goals of the makot, as the Pasuk says in the beginning of the parasha, the mantis was that you should teach your children and you should see it, it's for the Jews to see. So then they're described as being muftim, wonders, otot, signs. And Chazal say that la'atid lavo, at the time of the Geula, there'll be even greater nisim, greater otot, greater wonders than the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, based on the Pasuk, kimei tzaytecha me'eretz Mitzrayim erenu niflaot. I will then, in the future time, show you niflaot, show you wondrous things, kimei tzaytecha me'eretz Mitzrayim, the days of your leaving from Eretz Mitzrayim. Vitzelami Velazhen, the son of Abchayim Velazhen, asked a very simple question, I'm sure maybe some of you have already asked. 
The Gemara says that there will be greater miracles at the time of the future Gula than there were at the time of the exodus from Egypt. Based on the Pasuk that says, Ki yimei, as, the, as in the days of your leaving Egypt, so I will show you wonders. It's a contradiction. The, the Pasuk says it will be the same. As in those days, so it will be in the future days. Based on that Pasuk, the Gemara says, therefore there will be greater miracles. The Gemara should have said there will be equal miracles. It will be as wonderful as the Exodus. What is the basis in this Pasuk for saying that the miracles in the future will be greater than the miracles even of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which is the greatest period of miracles we've ever known? Based on the Pasuk, which says, Ki as in the days of your exodus, so I will show you wondrous things. This question was asked by Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And he gave the following answer. The Chazal have a principle, psychological principle, a very important principle. It says, Ein bal hanes makir binisa. There's a bit of a bittersweet aspect to this principle. It says that when God does something for somebody, you're a bal hanes. Someone experienced a miracle, other people perceive it. The bal hanes, the one who actually experienced it, Einenu makir binisa. He does not we should have the word fully, he does not fully recognize the miracle that took place. Right? It's a psychological fact that when you're most involved, you don't have the proper perspective. And therefore, very often, it's, it's very possible that's the reason why Chazal was so much mocked, that if your nace took place too, you have to make a bracha and you have to say hagomel. Not so much because, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because they really want to make sure that you would pay attention. So when you realize that something special has happened, then you really say to Kosh it was really nifla. If you come to a place, there's a bracha very, really, very, really recited. I, I've never actually heard it recited. If someone is present in a place at which a miracle was done for him, he, he experienced something really unusual. There's a bracha you have to make. Even many years later. But when you see the sight, you remember what happened. But the fact is that psychologically it's a difficulty. So Rebitzel explained that when the Jews left Egypt, all those miracles that took place and they saw it and they said, you know, but they, they didn't really experience it fully. They didn't recognize it. Excuse me. They didn't recognize the miracles which were taking place to them fully, because ain balanes so. So too, latid lavo in the future when the future geula takes place, and we will experience those great miracles of the future geula. So again, lo nakir We won't recognize them. We won't fully internally recognize the greatness of those miracles, because that's human nature. But, Rebetzel said, look what the Pasuk says. Ki er'enu niflo. The word er'enu, I will show them, means that's how much you will recognize. There will be a lot of miracles, but I will show you miracles, meaning you, I will show you and you will see them, you will recognize, you will see and, and appreciate miracles. Ki In other words, the equation is 
the psychological apprehension of the miracles in the time of the Geula will be equal to the actual miracles of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Kimei tzaytcha me'eretz Mitzrayim, lo kemasheher eiti lecha. Not what I showed you when you left Mitzrayim, but what really took place in the time of Yitziat Mitzrayim, as took place actually in the Exodus, I will show you wondrous things in the future. So, the psychological apprehension of the future will be equal to the actual miracles of the Exodus. But since the apprehension of the miracles in the time of the future Gula is less than the actual miracles in the times of the Gula, therefore we know that there will be greater miracles in the time of the future Gula than took place in the time of the Exodus. Because let's say, just to throw a number, let's say a person, a person's normal apprehension of what's happening to him is 80%. So in the time of the Gula, the 80% will be equal to the 100% of the Exodus from Egypt. Hence, the 100% of the future Gula is greater than the amount of miracles, wondrous signs that took place in the time of the Exodus. Very clever, that's sort of Itzel, Atla of Itzel explained how this Pasuk, which seems to be a Pasuk of equation, is actually a Pasuk of increase. Your apprehension is equal to then, hence there's more miracles in the future than there will be now. And that, that, that's Itzel's explanation, I think it's very, very clever. Pasuk says, God specifically made as many miracles as possible, many, many miracles in the time of the Exodus, because he wanted to impress both the Egyptians and the Jews. And the ulahatida lavo will be even even greater. The principle that's involved here is something which obviously has ramifications not merely for the appreciation of miracles, but for our daily lives. And we should try to overcome it. Ain bal hanes If you think you live a humdrum life and you don't see nisim, you don't see God's chesed, you don't see God's help. Al yimin small, right and left, in front of you, behind you. One of the reasons is because your eyes aren't open as wide as they should be. It's normal. That's what happens. Knowing that it's normal, uh, we should open our eyes. We should force ourselves to see that, okay, al shebachol yom imanu, as we say in the tefillah, v'kat modim, we at least recite and hopefully should apprehend and feel that there are nisim b'niflaot b'chol yom, miracles and wondrous things every day. Erev, poker, b'tzaharayim. And that apprehension uh, is an important part of Avodat Hashem. I now turn the microphone over to our regular weekly participant, guest, Harav Binyamin Tavori, who uh, this year is actually living in London, uh, teaching and being a rabbi in London, but has this week has been visiting us back home here in uh, Gush Etzion, and therefore this recording was actually made here in the Gush and that as he's been doing in the last couple of months in London. It's very good seeing him and he will be discussing this week the personality of the Bala Svide Eish of Yaakov Yechiel Weinberg Zecha Tzadik Livracha Haraftavori. Friday, Dalet Shvat, is the yard site of one of the great gedolim of the former generation. 
Avichiel Yaakov Weinberg, the famous Godel Batayra, important posek, and a person who was a teacher, a thinker, and influenced many people, was born in Poland near Chechnowicz in 1884. He seems to have come from a, an average family. There's no stories about anyone else in his family being Gedolim, Tamini Chachamim, people of Yichus. But he was quickly recognized as an Ilui. More or less at the age of 16, he went to the Yeshiva of Slabatka, where he was known as the Ilui of Chechnovich. He, at that time, was introduced to people who were famous Gedolim, and the influence of Slabatka, that Musa Yeshiva, was felt very strongly by Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, and he wrote about it in various essays. He, at the same time, shortly after he was in Slabatka, he also was involved with Hebrew writers, people who belonged to the Haskalah movement. He was familiar with Mapu personally and through his writings. Eventually, he went to the yeshiva of Mir, Abichio Yaakov Weinberg, learned with the Gedolim of Mir, he learned with, with the Rosh Hashiva, later Rosh Hashiva, Blazer Yudel Finkel, and he went to Grodna. But all these type years that he spent learning Yeshiva, he also, perhaps privately, perhaps sometimes in a clandestine manner, he studied Limudichol. He studied Russian, he studied literature. When he was offered a Rabbanis, he was offered a Shidduch that in a certain way he felt coerced to accept. He wrote so in one of his works, and this Shidduch did not bear fruit in any sense at all. With great anguish and pain, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg divorced his wife and never remarried. In that respect, he was a tragic and lonely figure. During the war years, certain pressures were put upon him, and he went to Germany. He became active in the Beis Medrash that was known for a more Haskalak attitude toward learning. Eventually, when the seminary of Berlin was closed, he returned to Eastern Europe and he was interned in concentration camps. His poor health and a rather difficult operation, which did not succeed well, caused him to abandon his plans to go to Eretz Israel, and he went to Montreux, Switzerland, basically to recuperate. Sitting alone in the town of Montreux, he, be- he founded a yeshiva. He was known as Rosh Yeshiva, but he could lead a life apart from the po- real politic of the yeshiva world. Although 
he lived in isolation in a certain sense in Mantra. His influence was very strongly felt all over the world. People wrote him She'ilot in Halacha and his responsa became widespread and extremely important. The Chuvas are now printed in a few volumes called Sridei Eish. First two volumes came, then a third volume appeared, and a fourth volume appeared. Mosad Rav Kook collected it all and reprinted it in a different form. Some of those chuvos are extremely famous and have wide ramifications in the yeshiva world. For example, he fought this tremendous battle about shechita. When government regulations insisted that the animals, animals be stunned before shechita, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg was the one who dealt with this issue. At the end, he said he wanted other people to agree with him, but he took a rather unique stance in this question. He was one of the first people that wrote a tshuva about celebrating a bas mitzvah. Bar mitzvahs were celebrated, but bas mitzvahs were not at all celebrated. And Rav Yechiel uh, Yaakov Weinberg and later on, Shuvas are written by Reb Moshe and other people about the same question, but Reb Yaakov Weinberg wrote a positive response about having a bar mitzvah, a bas mitzvah, not only a bar mitzvah. One of the most famous Shuvas in Sri Yesh is about Kol Isha. The custom, apparently, in certain homes was that people sang Zmiras as families. Men and women sang together. It must be emphasized that the tshuva that Rav Weinberg wrote was to a youth organization where he felt that Kiruv, bringing people back to, to Yiddishkeit, was the main point of the organization. And in order to attain that goal, he permitted men and women to sing together in this youth organization. This tshuva is extremely important for youth organizations, is cited in many, many other sfarim. Rabbi Chiyo Yaakov's life was one of tragedy. Sometimes he was misunderstood. In an excellent work, biography of Rabbi Chiyo Yaakov Weinberg, Professor Mark Shapiro wrote a book about the complication or the complicated life he led. On one hand, he was a masculine, a person who had the chok, chok, the, the approach of the chokrim, of the scholars, a person well-versed not only in Torah, but in literature, in what they called Wissenschaft, Chochmat Yisrael, but a person who was known and respected as a true Gadol Batayra. Being alone, basically, in Mantra, he had some very, very devoted students and some very, very devoted friends. One of the famous students of Rebichel Yaakov Weinberg is today living in Yerushalayim, Rav Avram Weingart, whose father was already associated with that yeshiva in Mantra, and the young Rabbi Weingart, she Badel Chaim Tovim, should live a long life, 
worked hand in hand with Rav Weinberg and published a volume of tshuvas, of, of chidushim. The tshuvas are called Sri Yesh. Rav Weinberg published a sefer of Sri Yesh, of Chidushe Torah, which rank together with the Rosh Yeshiva in their scope, in their depth, and you see him not only as a posek, but as a Rosh Yeshiva. You also see Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg as a thinker, and an original thinker, and as a darshan in some of his other svarim. He wrote a book of essays called Lifrakim. Some of his works were published in German. And there you see original ideas. Sometimes they're not the conventional approach of the yeshiva world. Rav Weinberg had a very complicated relationship a very close relationship with Professor Shmuel Atlas. In the yeshiva world, this was a very complicated thing to understand. Professor Atlas was a professor of Talmud at the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. Although he himself did work and publish Rishonim, one would not say that Shmuel Atlas, Professor Shmuel Atlas, was part of the yeshiva world. And as such, interested people, made people very curious about this type of relationship. Again, Professor Shapiro wrote an article about this relationship and in one of the uh, Torah Umada journals and Rabbi Weingart wrote a response discussing who really knew Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, what were his true thoughts. One thing is obvious. He lived a complicated life and he was a complex person. One of his main students was also a controversial figure, Rabbi, Dr. Professor Eliezer Berkowitz, professor of philosophy, well known in the academic world of Jewish philosophy, was a Talmud of Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg and learned Gemara under him. He asked Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg to write a haskama, an approbation for the Svarim that he wrote, and specifically for an approach he had about relieving the problem of agunot, of women whose husbands did not give them a get. And he came, Professor Berkowitz, with a novel interpretation, novel idea of how to alleviate this problem. Although Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg apparently liked the Sefer very much, he liked the approach very much, the bottom line is he refused to accept the proposal as is, and as was his want in controversial issues, he sometimes said that we need the approval of the Gdole Hador. When in books that he wrote, not only did he write Chidush Torah, not only did he write Machshava, but we see the influence of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the world of Musser, that he received in Slabotka, the influence of the German school of Rabbi Shimshon Hirsch is also seen in his works. His approach to perhaps what we would call Mechkar, scholarship, rather than pure yeshiva learning, is found in Mechkarim 
HaTalmud, which he published in 1937-1938. The complex life can be illustrated by a story that I cannot verify personally, but was a story that I heard about the funeral of Rabbi Chiel Yaakov Weinberg. In 1966, Dalit Shvat, Rabbi Chiel Yaakov was brought to Eretz Israel to be buried, in, to be buried here. The Tzioni Dati Lu'umi, the religious Zionist movement, people with whom Rav Weinberg had associated throughout his life, wanted him buried in their type of cemetery, in their Beis HaKvaros. The yeshiva world claimed Rabbi Chiyo Yaakov Weinberg for themselves. To which world did he really belong? Did he belong to the world of the more modern, open approach of the Mizrahi type? Did he belong to the yeshiva world of Reb Sarna, of Hebron, of Slabotka? Was he in the world of Haskola? The answer seems to be that he was a mixture of all of the above. On one hand, his Talmudic erudition is so, without question, proven by his Svarim, by the Sridi Eish, proven by his Mechkarim Betalmud, and no one can question the credentials of Abichil Yaakov. On the other hand, his entrance into the world of secular subjects, his interest in Mechkar, removed him somewhat for some time from the yeshiva world. And it seems that it was not a coincidence that he isolated himself and lived in Mantra. Those Talmudim that had the privilege of learning with him, and there are quite a number of them, I only mentioned the one that I've met personally and I've spoken to, Rabbi Weingart, but other students who felt a very close connection to Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg felt that he was the true Godel of the generation living in Mantra, founding his yeshiva. Eventually, this yeshiva of Mantra has transferred itself to Yerushalayim, and this yeshiva now continues in Yerushalayim. The Svarim of Rav Weinberg obviously will continue for many, many generations. Sri Eish is considered is considered part of the main libraries of yeshiva learning, both in the world of the tshuvas, of the halacha lemaisa, as well as in the shiurim printed in the Sri Eish. He left no children. He had no family. But his students, the very close students, are his family, and in respect, in a certain respect, we're all his Talmudim, since we still use those Svarim, the Sri Deyesh. You've been listening to Rabbi Yemen Tavori, the outside of the week, Sri Deyesh, Rabbi Yaakov Yechiel Weinberg, Zecher, Tzadik, Kadesh, Levracha. And today's Shio was uh, dedicated as well, the Refuah Shleima. The Gemara in Babatla says that uh, medicine, curing, Refuah, 
is, at least that area is one area where it's appropriate. It's not even inappropriate. It's appropriate to say that I'm doing a mitzvah so that certain mifuah should take place. That's what the Gemara says. You give tzedakah for the fuah of my son. You might think that's somehow not so right. It's like you're making a deal with God. The Gemara says that, no, no, it's right. It's the correct thing to do. So today's year was sponsored the fuah of Devorah Idol, but Miriam Bracha. And I join in the, in the prayer of he who gave the money, he who donated and dedicated the year. Shela Rufuah Shlema, Rufuah Nefesh, Rufuah Aguf, Ramach Ibarel, Rishasa Gidea, Hashta Bagadar, Vizman Karev. You've been listening to KMTT, Erev Shabbat program, Parshat Bo. This has been Ezra Beck. Wishing you all Shabbat Shalom, and we'll, you'll hear from us. We'll get together again next week, more shiurim from KMTT. Kimitzion, Teitzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim. Shabbat Shalom Umvorach.